All right. Good evening. Let's all stand. We'll take a. You guys look at the. Look at the screen. We'll look at page 125. 125. <clears throat> Everybody stand if you can. If you can. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispered sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. In all myself and through. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest Amen, amen. If you can remain standing, we'll sing one more. Page 188. And I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always there. Jesus lives today. 
He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to catch it? I thought I saw it fall on the floor. If y'all come to the altar tonight and get stuck, it's her chewing gum that did it. Amen. Good to see all of y'all tonight. Good spirit in the house tonight. <laughs> Amen. Appreciate y'all being here. Let me make some quick announcements. Don't forget our Valentine banquet coming up on February the 11th at 6 o'clock. Be in much prayer about that. Also, this coming Sunday at 3 o'clock at Sister Megan's house, the young ladies will be meeting for a, a get-together, so remember that. And as far as our prayer requests go tonight, remember that we're praying, we're praying for Brother Joe Brown in Emmanuel Baptist Church, and uh, he's the preacher that I go and preach for out in Kansas along and along, so you remember to pray for Brother Joe Brown. Also, we need to pray for the Myers family. Please pray for Debbie. She's not feeling well. And also Lily and Lisa Kemp. How about your prayer request tonight? Bobby Warren.
15. Anyone else on your hearts tonight that we need to pray? Laura Franklin. Laura Franklin. Anyone else tonight? Anything else we need to pray about? All right, let's all gather around these altars and let's pray for these needs and asking God's blessings upon them. you have any missionary offering tonight, you can bring, give it at this time and get you a study sheet if you need it. We'll be in the book of Acts tonight and, uh, got a study sheet to continue our study through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 8, and this is uh, our 19th study uh, through the book of Acts so far, and, and we're going to finish up chapter 8 tonight. 
We looked at the forefront of Acts 8, and now we want to pick up where we left off and finish up the chapter. A lot is going on in chapter 8. It's a, it's a major transitional time in the book of Acts, and things are beginning to develop and begin to change in the gospel world and in the life of the church. And so we'll look at that tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at our study sheets together tonight. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we're a blessed people, and I thank you for being the God that you are. You're mighty kind, and you're mighty gracious to every one of us. I thank you, Lord, for these that have turned aside for a while tonight to come and gather themselves around the good word of God. And I pray that you'd prosper our time, Lord, as we're in your, in your book, Lord, and you're pleased Open our hearts to your scriptures, and Lord, teach us tonight. Lord, we sure do love you, and thank you for always being there with us. Thank you for being so kind to us, Lord, and allowing us, Lord, the opportunity to pray and to seek the face of God. Now, Lord, you add your favor to every one of us tonight, and we're thankful for what you'll do. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask, and all of God's people said, Amen. Let's look at our study sheets together tonight. And finish up this, this chapter 8 of Acts. A major shift or transition is beginning to materialize in the book of Acts. Stephen has just been stoned to death. And because of the persecution that arose against the church, the gospel is now spreading into the regions of the Samaritans. Before the persecution, the gospel was confined to Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Now, the fulfillment of Acts 1.8 is beginning to become a reality. We read that, that, that issue of the Lord Jesus where he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Look at this. Both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we have witnessed it already in Jerusalem it has gone into the regions of Judea, the surrounding areas of, of Jerusalem. And now we're seeing it go into Samaria, just like Jesus said it would. Saul is still doing everything in his power to cause as much damage to the church as possible. But the prophecy spoken by Jesus Christ concerning his church rings true throughout the entire history of Christianity. In Matthew 16 and 18... Jesus said these words, and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and here it is, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <clears throat> Every effort of any person or group of people to stop the church only enables its growth and furtherance. While in a city of the Samaritans, a sorcerer by the name of Simon is encountered for years he has bewitched people and convinced them that he is doing miracles through the power of God. Philip is used mightily to preach the gospel and many Samaritans are converted. Simon the sorcerer also believes and begins following Philip as he travels to preach the gospel. He is amazed at the miracles and, and, and signs he witnesses Philip do. And that brings us to our opening text for this study. In verse 14 of Acts, we begin reading this. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. 
for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, <clears throat> because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. <clears throat> Many of the Samaritans have responded to the gospel preaching of Philip, and this good news spreads back to the disciples at Jerusalem. They send Peter and John to witness this Samaritan revival, and when they arrive, they understand that they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They laid their hands on them and prayed that they might receive the Holy Ghost. This has confused many people, and doctrines have sprung out of this text, which teach that someone can lay hands on another, and they will receive the Spirit of God. In this transitional stage and the development of the church, things will transpire that need more than just a casual reading of the text. Remember, the disciples had been told by Jesus at the beginning of their ministry to only minister to the Jewish people. We read about this in Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Their ministry was limited to Jews only. When Jesus told them that they would be witnesses of him beginning in Jerusalem then spreading into Samaria, their comprehension of his statement was limited. Surely they could not conceive themselves going into Samaria because their commission confined them to Jews only. But now they hear that the Samaritans had also received the word of God. For these Jewish disciples to believe such they must go and see for themselves. When they arrived, sure enough, many of the Samaritans had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But the receiving of the Holy Ghost had not been poured out on them yet. This was done so in this manner, mainly for the benefit of the Jewish disciples. How could they know that these Samaritans had actually received salvation? God assured them by allowing them to lay their hands on these new converts and witness them receiving the Holy Ghost. Now these disciples knew that the gospel was being opened up beyond Jerusalem and spreading into the mixed breed of the Samaritans. You remember that a Samaritan was half Jew and half Gentile. We now know much more than the early disciples knew, for we have the completed revelation of the Scriptures. When someone is saved now, they immediately are baptized by the Holy Spirit without any need for human aid. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, we read these words. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free or and been all made to drink into one spirit. Every believer receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. There's no second act of grace that transpired later in a believer's life. Many will inquire of someone professing salvation if they have received the Holy Ghost since they believed. The answer is a definitive yes. But for the sake of his disciples, Jesus allows Peter and John to witness these Samaritans receive the Holy Ghost so they will know that it is really of God. When Simon the sorcerer sees this happen, he wants this special power for himself and offers money in exchange for their power. Peter immediately confronts Simon and tells him his money could perish with him because he considered the gift of God a purchased thing. This chapter states that Simon believes and is mesmerized by the signs and wonders that the disciples were able to do. Considering his background of sorcery, you wonder, what did Simon believe? Did he believe in the Savior or did he believe in the signs? Was he captured by the Messiah or was he overtaken by the miracles? The text seems to indicate that the latter was his belief. He did not want to know more about Jesus. He just wanted their unusual power at his disposal. He was not interested in a closer relationship with Christ. He wanted power. The witness of Simon's life all points to this one reality. Simon was just as lost after he believed as before he believed. His belief was spurious and shallow, all because he believed in something other than Jesus. We witness the same thing happening today. Someone will show up during a church service, make an emotional move at an altar, and then nothing ever changes in their life. They continue with the same mindset and the same life after they believe. What a person believes in or who a person believes in makes all the difference. And even that, what they believe about the who is critical. Did they believe that Jesus could heal their body? Did they believe that Jesus could put their marriage back together? Did they believe that Jesus could fix their finances? The issue pressed by the gospel is our sin. That is why Jesus died for us, our sins. He didn't die for our finances. He didn't die for our marriages. He didn't die to heal our body. He died for our sins. A truly repentant believer will want Jesus to fix their sinful ways. They no longer want to live in their current sinful manner. They desire Jesus to change their lives. And thank God he does. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, any man, any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Simon still desires the same old ways, just with a different power. So Peter informs him, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. 
Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and not in Christ, but in the bond of iniquity. Peter plainly told Simon that he needed to repent and pray for forgiveness. His bitterness and iniquity were manifested to Peter, not a life changed by Jesus Christ. The story of Simon ends on a sad note. He knows he needs to pray, but he asked Peter to pray for him. And by the way, nobody can pray you into heaven. Nobody can pray salvation for you. That's a personal matter between an individual and Jesus Christ. Unwilling to pray for himself, the story of Simon, the sorcerer, ends forever lost. Now let's consider the seeker in his chariot. Verses 25 through 40 reads like this. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. That's where the pillar man gets all his cotton now to make sheets for the beds down in Gaza. That's where this guy, some of y'all seen the commercial, some of y'all hadn't. That goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read says the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read, the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life? Is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And that ends Acts chapter 8. The disciples finished their assignment in the Samaritan region. And they returned to Jerusalem. 
Now they begin venturing out into the Samaritan regions around Jerusalem. The gospel is spreading and lives changed by the power of God are increasing. The angel of the Lord appears to Philip and gives him specific directions to leave Jerusalem and go into the desert place of Gaza. Without any hesitation, Philip begins his trip. This is true obedience. Many times we feel an urging from the Spirit of God to do a certain thing and we put it off until a later time. We may eventually do it, but that is not complete obedience. Obedience is time sensitive. For example, the Spirit of God may impress us to witness to someone we see. We debate the issue within our hearts and put it off. We go about our business and later on we see the individual again. Again, the Spirit of God urges us to witness to them. And our business simply seems more important than the urging of the Spirit of God. We failed to obey in the first instance of His prompting. But He gives us a second chance and begs our obedience once more. Have we obeyed? Not at all. We failed from the very beginning. We should learn to obey God's inner still voice when he speaks rather than delay to obey. Anything other than Philip's reaction is disobedience. Had Philip delayed, the narrative of our text would be completely different or not at all. A certain eunuch under the charge of Queen Candace is returning from Jerusalem. He is a man of great authority entrusted with the treasury of the queen. He had made his way to Jerusalem for the purpose of worship. While in Jerusalem, this man saw and heard some things that sparked a curious note in him. And as he rides home in his chariot, he is reading the Old Testament scriptures. Philip is instructed further to go and join himself to the eunuch's chariot. Philip again demonstrates true obedience. And he ran to catch up with the moving chariot. Had that been one of us, we possibly would have thought, well, he's gone. There's no need in me running after him now. Philip exerts the extra mile effort and catches up with the chariot. And as he nears, he hears the eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah out loud. Philip questions him and asks him if he understood what he was reading. The man was so intrigued with the word of God that he responds, how can I accept some man guide me? That is our part in witnessing. We are simply guides. When someone is honestly wanting the truth, a guide will benefit their seeking hearts. The word guide in our text means a teacher, a leader, a conductor. When I worked at the railroad, a team consisting of an engineer, trainman, and a conductor worked together to ensure that the train reached its destination safely and on time. The conductor's responsibilities were many, but his main objective was to read the train orders, understand them completely, and communicate those orders to the engineer. Even though the engineer operated the actual movement of the train, the conductor was the leader who made sure the train orders were understood by all involved. That is what this unit realizes he needs. He needs someone to make sure he understands what he is reading with clarity. In the book of Nehemiah, Ezra the priest takes the book of the law and reads it to a congregation of people. One of the greatest verses that describes what any teacher or preacher of the word of God should do is recorded in the setting of chapter 8. 
And we read about that in Nehemiah 8.8 8, where it says this. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. And caused them to understand the reading. That is the responsibility of any witness of Christ. We're not sent to argue or debate the scriptures, but rather we're to guide others so that they might understand what they are reading. The eunuch has been reading Isaiah 53, and that entire chapter is a prophecy revealing what Jesus Christ accomplished at his death, burial, and resurrection. Philip uses these same verses and begins telling him all about Jesus Christ. And to further the definition of a biblical guide, Jesus Christ is the main subject we are to teach. There are many subjects to discover and learn about throughout the Word of God, but when someone is seeking salvation, Jesus Christ is the main subject. If we get sidetracked and the devil plays that card well and off the subject of Jesus Christ, a salvation seeker might slip through the rubble of confusion. Stay on point with the main subject, which is Jesus Christ and his accomplishment at Calvary. While they continue riding back to the Ethiopian's home, they come to a body of water and the eunuch inquires if Philip would consider baptizing him. Peter looks at him and replies, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The answer of the eunuch reveals a true belief and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And he says this, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch's confession satisfies Philip, and they both go down into the water, and he is baptized. The gospel is clarified as the book of Acts progresses. In the beginning, baptism was the main issue. Now, believing in Jesus Christ is the prerequisite for salvation. Then, baptism follows. Believing in Jesus Christ is what saves a person's soul, not baptism. Once a person does believe in Jesus, they should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. The act of baptism does not save, nor does it further or complete a person's salvation. Baptism is an outward witness that a person has been saved by the power of Jesus Christ alone. It is a picture of what happens when someone is saved. They go under the water, a picture of their death to the old life of sin. Then they are raised out of the water, a picture of a believer being raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. Acts 8 closes with a strange twist. The eunuch comes out of the water, and as soon as they reach dry land, Philip is caught away by the Spirit of the Lord. The scene is unique. The eunuch turned to say something to Philip, and he's gone. One minute he's there, the next he is snatched away. The same will happen one day to all of God's people. One minute we will be here on earth, and the next we will be removed in a grand catching away of the church, and the night will be fine with me. The text informs us that Philip was transferred to another location called Azotus, and he continued with his mission of evangelizing and guiding people to Jesus Christ. And just a thought ending our study tonight. That would be a great way to end our Christian pilgrimage. We lead one more to Jesus Christ. And then get caught away by the spirit. Into the other world of heaven. Wouldn't that be great? 
you're, you're talking to somebody about Jesus, they receive Jesus, and all of a sudden, come up hither, boom, we're gone. <laughs> what a way to go, taking somebody to heaven with you. <laughs> we should all be busy with our Father's business. Telling others about Jesus Christ and guiding them to the truth is our mission in life. The people we encounter along the way are our mission field. Looking for opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ should be our passion. We spend a large portion of our lives interacting with other people. And it is our responsibility to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Make good use of your God-given time here on earth and tell others about the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. One day, you will be caught away from those opportunities. Amen. Any...